Morning. Who's ready to save the world? Okay, one person. Lord help us. Well, if, uh, if you do know me, you know I'm not Andrew. Um, it's really good to see you. Welcome. Whether you've traveled from Gloucester or Germany, I'm so glad you could be with us. Thanks for joining us. Um, we're, we're looking at how to save the world this morning. Pretty basic stuff. I hope you're excited. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the, the weekend. If you're a rugby fan, you'll know that we thrashed Ireland. How good is that? Ah, you think I'm wrong. It's the women's rugby. We're not just all about the men's rugby. I know we beat South Africa as well. Just checking. Just checking. I hope you didn't get caught up in too much Black Friday craziness. Did you spend a bit more time online than you perhaps would have planned? A bit more time in queues than you wanted to, whether that be car queues. We, we are building up to this exciting season of Christmas. An exciting season, an important one. Uh, uh, but it does get a little bit busy. We'll be stepping into our um, Christmas-themed talks um, next week, which should be fun. Uh, but today we're finishing the end of our All In For The World series. If you know, our umbrella statement for, uh, for the church is, is about being all in with God, all in with each other, and all in for the world. And these last three weeks we've been looking at that, looking at justice, peace, wholeness. Uh, and this morning actually my title is Sharing in Eating and Drinking. Sharing and eating and drinking. There's one aspect of that title that I'm very good at. It's the eating and drinking. The sharing I'm not so sure about, but, um, uh, but as Richard's already uh, shown us this morning, it's an important part. And that is one of the great things about pizza. So good for sharing. Um, I've called it um, How to Save the World because I actually think this was part of Jesus' strategy for saving the world. Uh, I, think we, I think anyone who's, who's looked at Jesus' life, looked at his table fellowship, looked at the way that he used food, you, you would know that Jesus thought, thought that, that the way he was going to save the world, the way he was going to change it, as well as the cross being significant, but the strategy around connecting with people was going to be in, in eating and in drinking. And so we're going to come to uh, our first little passage of scripture, because throughout the Gospels there are three descriptions of, of Jesus and it, that say, the Son of Man came, the Son of Man came, and they're repeated three times. The Son of Man came, the first one you'll be familiar with, to seek and save the... Well done, come on. Uh, and then the, the second one, the Son of Man came to serve and not to be... Well done, you guys, I could sit down. And the final one is actually in Matthew 11 or Luke 7. Uh, and it's less around Jesus' identity and more around Jesus' strategy. And it said, the Son of Man came, less known, ah, eating and drinking. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Let's look at that passage. Uh, we're going to look at Luke 7. It's going to be on the screen for you uh, now. And this is Jesus talking uh, about a bunch of people who got the wrong idea. He says, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man, he's referring to himself, came eating and drinking, and you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I wonder if that's what you hope your witness to your neighbors might be, that you're a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. <clears throat> that was the reputation Jesus had. Because he wasn't going around like the religious leaders of the time. He wasn't 
conforming to the ways that people expected. Jesus was known for his eating and drinking. The religious leaders, with their high bar on intellectual competence or their higher bar of ritual cleanliness, were used to observing all sorts of religious tradition. They'd professionalized much of what Israel's history had been about in terms of sharing food and sharing stories about God. Sharing food and stories about God, they professionalized it. Maybe we've done a, a bit of that as well in our modern day gatherings. But that's what Jesus, so Jesus ended up, Jesus' strategy ended up being ridiculed by the religious leaders at the time. He was marred with being a glutton and a drunk. But the truth is, Jesus knew how important eating together was for building connection and for breaking down barriers. I hope you have some feel of what that is about already. We're not starting day one here. Jesus knew it was fundamental to who we are. For most of us, our very first meal was while we were being held, whether it's with a bottle, whether it's on a breast. Eating begins in a togetherness, begins in sharing. I mean, it's a punishment to be in isolation. And many of you will know what it feels like to have a meal on your own. It's not, it's, it, it's not always easy. It can feel uncomfortable. There's something about sharing food together that is powerful, and Jesus recognized that. Whether it's an unknown tribe living deep in the rainforest or a group of young people meeting at Five Guys, the value of sharing food together is widely accepted. But also, it's actually, there's loads of stats out there statistically proven to be beneficial for our health in terms of how we eat. Uh, in terms of being together. We are designed to eat with one another. Why don't you say that to the person next to you? We are designed to eat with one another. So, uh, we're going to save the world, is our, is our hope in Jesus' name, uh, and with Jesus' strategy of being together. So we're talking about for the world, all in for the world. Uh, and my suggestion to you is that that is around, that one of the key strategies of that is around the food that we share and how we do it. Because we know that there are people around us who are lonely, who are isolated, who are grappling with all sorts of darkness. And God wants to come into that and speak into it. But we need to clarify what we mean by eating and drinking. We need to know what that looks like because we might have uh, a certain idea of what, of what it is. And I'm, I'm kind of talking about hospitality, but it's not about a royal banquet or a summer buffet. It's not canapes and Prosecco. I mean, it's not only that. Obviously, that will be involved at some point, maybe. Don't get me wrong. But our view of hospi hospitality is sometimes mixed up with the modern-day practice of entertaining guests. And that's not what I mean. We invite some friends over who we know or have some similar views to. They might have a similar sized house, similar aged kids or family or whatever, similar social situation. And we pull out all the stops to make a delicious meal and have a solid catalogue of drink options. That's not what we're unpacking here. That's not what Jesus' strategy was. The word hospitality is actually derived from the word hospice. Hospice, which you'll know, uh, is a root meaning for all sorts of hospital hospices in. It, and actually, it's meaning is around stranger or even enemy. It's rooted in the word of the other, a stranger, the enemy. Hospitality is about love. And that doesn't always mean comfort, ease, and straightforwardness. So back to Jesus. We are called to be his disciples and to make disciples. So let's look at his example. All over the Gospels, Jesus is found hosting 
or being hosted in many situations. He was more often the guest than he was the host. I think we could learn from that in our, in our pursuit to connect with the world. We, we like to host because we're more comfortable in that. You might find that your friends and your neighbors are more comfortable hosting, so maybe you want to get around to their house. Let's get back to the script. David, um, whether it's at the home of a tax collector, a Pharisee, whether it's by a well with a Samaritan in the house of Mary or Martha, whether it's on the hill with a thousand or hidden away with a few, Jesus sat around the table. Jesus shared food. And there's a great quote that was going to come up by Robert Karras. Uh, in his aptly named book, Eating Your Way Through the Book of Luke. It says, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. <laughs> Basically, I mean, we could all say that of all of most of our lives. This is the richness of, of today. You're, you, often when, we, when we're preaching or when we're speaking or when you're reading the Bible, you might feel challenged about adding something to your life or changing a habit. Today, all I'm going to do is tell you to go and eat. You have to anyway. You have to anyway, so it's a bit of a straightforward message. It might be a bit more complicated than that, though. So, Jesus speaks into a culture that had been heavily influenced by the Pharisees and another Jewish sect called the Essenes. And these groups were seriously concerned about ritual purity, about being with the right people and not being contaminated. Now, we might not, be, we might not call it ritual purity, but you might think, well, I don't want to be contaminated by hanging out with those people. They're a bit awkward, a bit socially dysfunctional, it's difficult, it's not straightforward. But that was the context. Who they shared a table with for these Pharisees or the religious people of the time was the important thing. And Jesus reclaims the table in so many interactions and moments. He reclaims it for more than just about social status and standing. Not as a place where people's People can be excluded or included, but where the way of the world could be flipped on its head, our most basic need of hunger and thirst should draw us together, not apart. It should draw us together and not apart, but the religious scene at the time was separation and different and not eating. That's why there's so many, you'll know so many stories from the Bible if you're familiar with the Bible where people were offended with who Jesus was eating with. It's not like that. It's about a connection. Uh, I'm going to watch a video clip in, in, a, in a moment that just really helpfully describes how disconnected we can be and the richness of eating together. So if you forget nothing else, this might help. A little visual. Thanks. How helpful is that? I, just so you know, that's exactly what my neighborhood looks like. Every evening, five o'clock, we all just gather like that. It's just perfect. Uh, it's, it's a great vision, isn't it? It's a great vision of actually you know, all this disconnect. If you didn't manage to catch the first bits, everyone's on screens and there's disconnection and then they just go, do you know what, let's put our meal table right at the center of where community are walking past because we've all got our doors or you've got your front doors and we've got our living rooms at the back or we, we, we're hiding away potentially and we've castled a little bit. What does it look like to change that? The reality is we'd all be doing that if it was that easy. I think we'd all be doing it. It's not straightforward. Historically, meal tables have been used to draw lines of friendships. Meal tables have been a place of division or a cause for division. Who hasn't walked into some sort of school or work canteen and felt really awkward about where you're going to sit and who you're going to sit with? Food is never as straightforward as it looks on TV either. We're not talking about some amazing cooking show. There's a great card that I saw, if we could have that, uh, that next image up. 
uh, I just found really helpful as a, a dad of three kids. Um, it's the, look, uh, what is it? It's, what card is it? Um, the next slide, the next picture. It's time for a real cooking show where a presenter with a screaming child microwaves pizza. <laughs> How right is that? I just had to buy that card. I'm just like, yes. The reality is our lives are not as straightforward and as simple as, as, let's, as, as let's put on some big show. And we're going we're to do some myth-busting about what hospitality isn't um, shortly. But let's, let's first turn to the Bible. Uh, and I'm going to... What I want to say is that hospitality, as Jesus did it, is not straightforward, easy, and, it's, and, 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 and simple. Hospitality, in the right way, is going to be awkward at times. And so just turn to the person next to you and say, you're going to have to embrace awkward. No hugging. It's not that kind of embracing of awkward. That's just rude. All right. Um, John chapter 21. It's not going to be on the screen, so grab your Bible out. Um, and we'll be, we'll be working from verse 1. And it's what is potentially an awkward meal between Jesus and Peter. I won't go too much into the back story, but this is after Jesus had died and been resurrected. Jesus and Peter have some unfinished business. But Jesus does what he's always been doing in awkward situations. He sits down and he eats. So we're going to look at that. Lord, reveal yourself as we read your word, we pray. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, says Peter. This is the one who's been called to be fishers of men, and he's going back to old ways of life, or just basically trying to f figure out food for his family. Who knows? So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. That's incredibly frustrating. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? He knows the answer to that question. He's just being cheeky. In a way, only Jesus can be. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So good when Jesus comes into a situation where you're disorientated. You probably shouldn't be fishing in the first place. You just got lost track because your, your world got flipped upside down like, like Peter's did when Jesus died. And everything's changed. The person you were following, it doesn't make sense anymore and you're struggling. Jesus comes in and says a word and there's clarity. There's clarity, but there's also fruit. There's, so they bring in this net, a large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. I find that so encouraging. That Jesus, who's got some un, Peter, who's got some unfinished business with Jesus, was, was still enthusiastic about getting to him and getting close to him. I hope we're like that with our neighbors and our friends. The, others, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 meters. That's a good old swim. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus is welcoming to eat food again. 
classic. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. What an invitation. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. He's breathed on them the Holy Spirit. There's been some significant counters and he's commissioned them. And yet they've gone back into their old way of life, just doing what, what they know how to do. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's this moment of, of reconnection, of recommissioning. It's a powerful moment, but it, it's, it begins and it's, it's around a meal table. I wonder where you need powerful reconnection with people in your life, whether it's people who have a faith or people who don't have a faith. My prayer is that you get a vision for what it looks like to eat together. So a few <clears throat> words on what Jesus did, how he did this. Jesus brings hope. I hope you're a bringer of hope in your neighborhood and with your non-Christian connections in your workplace. He brings hope. He speaks into frustration. We want to save the world, not because it's all sorted, but because there's problems and because there's pain and because you're on the phone to people who are struggling and there's all sorts of darkness and there's mental health problems coming out of our ears all over the place as people struggle to find a language for the soul that is in pain. And we have something of an answer, something of hope for people who have been frustrated, who've been up all night struggling with their normal way of doing things, and we can come in. So that's the first point for Jesus. He brings hope. But Jesus was also led. He was aware of what's going on. He's aware there's 153 fish going on. In our hospitality, in our meeting with those who don't yet know Christ, we need to be led. Let's not just go all over the place. Let's keep in connection with the Father. That's how Jesus did life. He was also full of grace. I've mentioned that just already briefly. Jesus was this kind of character that even though you've messed up in the past, you want to go to him. Are you that in your neighborhood? Are you the kind of person that so loves and is so full of grace? Or are you the person who, who, who has defined what's right and wrong with people who don't yet have a faith? Do they know you for what you're against? Or do they know you because you're for them and you've, and you've been for them not on your agenda, not because you want them to become Christians, but just because you want to love them. Jesus was full of grace. Um, I also love that Jesus shared the hosting. He wasn't precious about who brought the fish. I got some fish, you got some fish, bring some fish. There's such dignity about that. There's such dignity about it. You contribute. It doesn't have to be all me. And Jesus doesn't avoid difficulties. He doesn't avoid the awkwardness. And there's all sorts of that. In, and we'll look at that in a, in a short while about Jesus and the awkward situations. Food with Jesus was not always straightforward. There's some, there's some examples. I just want you to think about your eating habits at the moment. Who are you eating with? Who has access to your table? 
does it look like the kind of Jesus way of doing things? Does it look like you're inviting people in? Great. Okay. I want to do some myth-busting about hospitality. I'll have a drink first. Okay, a few myths to bust, and they're going to come up on the screen. It's not about an event. So it's not about an event. It's not about a date in a diary way ahead. It's about an approach to eating that has a regularity, a flexibility to include others. Events are fine, and, and we can do those and we can celebrate, but... But spe- and special occasions, but hospitality is a regular practice. It's not just, okay, we're having this important meal, a couple of months' time, will you come over? It's about uh, a flexibility and an openness. Um, and it can happen in the workplace. One of my favorite things that we ever used to do uh, in, a, in a previous job that I had was called Chicken Tuesday. Chicken Tuesday. It was brilliant. You just brought a pound on Tuesday. I drove to Sainsbury's, got a couple of hot chickens and some bread, and we just, we just shared it and some, some green bits for people who liked green bits. Uh, and it was, <clears throat> don't worry, don't worry, I was mindful of that. Um, but, but we just sat and, and shared the same bit of chicken, the same bit of bread, and it was simple. Rather than everyone just going to their own desk and sorting something out. And it, it, we'll come to this in a minute. It took effort to get the rhythm going. But then everyone knows what's happening. Everyone knows that someone needs to go and get the margarine, someone needs to get some knives, someone needs... But this is the place where we are. This is the time every week. And it's just anyone can come. If you can't come, it doesn't matter. But that's what's going to happen. Just let us know. Chicken Tuesday. So I know how many chickens to buy. Chicken Tuesdays. It's not just about an event. It's about just a regular. What about your neighborhood? Could you have a neighbor night? Could you have a moment where you're just like, they all know it's going to be hot dogs at your place at this particular time. Or it's going to be crumpets. It doesn't have to be complicated. All you need... Toaster. Crumpets, butter, there is your hospitality pack for you, (laughs) done, okay, doesn't have to be fancy, it just has to be food that you share together, it's not about how exciting the food is, okay, that's myth busted, (laughs) Um, next one, home must be big, are these coming up on the screen, there you go, uh, that was my house from this morning. We've not, we've not hoovered recently, so I do apologize. Um, <clears throat> your home must be big, clean, and designer. Don't wait till you have matching glassware, mugs, or placemats. This is not a royal banquet, okay? You don't have to wait until you have a big space. It's a heart that welcomes more than a home that welcomes. You need to have a heart right, not a home right. Share your mess. Your mess will empower people. Honestly. <laughs> Honestly, it will. It will. Because your cleanness sometimes looks like pride and insecurity. Okay? I'm serious. It does. You're laughing. I'm hoping it's going deep, though. An honest space helps to open up honest conversations. Okay? Are you just showing someone around an art gallery and seeing what they think of the pictures in your home and the cuisine? Or are you asking them to come and contribute and shape something beautiful with you? Okay, I've got three kids, five and under. It, I, my house is not always going to be tidy, but I still want to be using it to connect with people. So 
It's not about the designer. And you can have those designer moments. That's fine. You can have a designer home. That's fine. It's the heart behind it. And don't wait till you've got it. If you've got a room that you share with a bunch of housemates, use what God's given you, grab some crumpets, and have a regular rhythm of eating together because it will save the world. Okay? Great. Come and participate with life. If you want to build connection with someone, letting them host is really strategic. I've mentioned that already. Jesus was more often the guest than the host. And people will feel more comfortable in their own environment. Get to that point where you can just pop into someone's house and it not feel uncomfortable or awkward. Okay, myth busted. Uh, Next one. It's about impressing. I think I've already covered that a little bit with the um, the image of the art gallery. I think we've covered it. Hospitality should be reciprocal. People should be able to do this the same. If you're making it all fancy schmancy, they might feel like they can't do hospitality. And you're, miss- and you're robbing them of blessing. There are times and places to enjoy fine cuisine and to honor guests with lots of effort. That's totally fine. I've been blessed by that. It's, it's all good. But if that's the regular bar you set, then you'll find limited opportunity for others to do the same. Let's go bagels, people. Bagels and cream cheese. Come on. Or, so we do baker's potatoes. Bake, baker's potatoes, sometimes on a Sunday, we just whack a whole bunch of potatoes in before we go to church, grate some cheese. We, we end up getting a bit carried away and doing some of the fancy toppings and it doesn't help. But it, you, you can just have some people over, baked potatoes, make it simple and make it something that someone else could contribute. Hey, do you want to bring a couple of potatoes over? Do, do, do you want to bring some... Do you want to bring some grated cheese? Whatever it is. Myth busted. <laughs> Going fast. Jesus, um, it's, it's not, it, here's another myth. It's about people that you click with. It's not. Jesus' example is amazing in this. He eats with all sorts of people he would not find straightforward. If you read about his meals throughout the Gospels, you will know a certain element of social tension or awkwardness often between different guests. And if you're anything like me, you invite people to your house who you think you'll get on with. Well, we'll have those people on that night and those people on that night because I don't think we want those people together. That could be awkward. And there might be some appropriateness in that. But actually, it's not just about people that you're going to find easy. And are you worried about spoiling an evening with your friends by having that person who really needs some companionship but you know it's going to make things that little bit awkward and you might feel like you have to apologize. Let's just agree together that as a family, we're not going to apologize for anyone who we have as a guest in our homes. Okay? Amen. Great. Um, It's, what else am I saying? Yeah. If it's for your neighbors, if it's a place of work, it doesn't matter. It's for those who are hungry for life and want something more than they currently have. So create connections. Choice is one of the biggest distractions of the 21st century at the moment. This is why we're not necessarily good at this hospitality that I'm describing, because we're used to choosing who we're with and who we're not with. We're used to just scrolling up if we don't like something someone says. I'll just scroll up. You can't do that around a dinner table. Scroll you away. Scroll you away. (laughs) Dislike that comment. No. Unfriend you. No. We can do that in the social media world. You can't do that around a table. So you know what? It has to make you. It has to shape you. Iron sharpens iron and it gets messy and wonderful. Do you think King's Table is straightforward on a Monday and a Friday when we invite some of our homeless and vulnerable adults to come and join us for food? It's it's not straightforward. It's messy, but it's rich. 
I do just want to read a little um, quote on that, and it's from a really helpful book called Ordinary Miracles by Chris Lane, Mess, Meals, and Meeting Jesus in Unexpected Places. Uh, And he, if I can find his quote, says that hospitality is not about this kind of strange charity stuff. Oh, it's not actually that, but that's a good one as well. Um, I do not give good notes to our wonderful AV team. I'm so sorry. It's It's not their problem. I just want to say, we do King's Table, we know we do King's Table, but there's a danger that we tick a box of, of connecting with people by supporting something financially that doesn't reflect what we do as a church. He says this really helpfully. When all our connections with those different to us are based on the modern idea of charity, we're able to hold people at arm's length while easing our consciences that we are making a difference in the world. Jesus goes much further than this and challenges us to do the same. Your church may run a food bank, but who sits around your dinner table? Whom do I invite to my parties? Have I ever taken Jesus' word seriously when he said, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brother, your relatives. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. As always, this is not just something Jesus said, but something he lived out. It's not just about people you click with. Next one, it takes a lot of effort. I'm just going to bust that myth. It, it doesn't. Done. It doesn't take a lot of effort. I'm just pointing to that. That is the effort that it takes. Okay? Does anyone think they could struggle with that? Right. Uh, it, but... I've put a star on it because it does take some level of effort. I started because it requires good communication with the people that you're hosting with in order to, to be hospitable in a, in a peaceful way. And it does require effort in communicating a welcome to people you don't naturally connect with. There is a different kind of effort. Okay, so it does take effort, but it's also an effort, especially if you get a regular rhythm of something. Once you get it started, it's easy. And people know we do crumpets on a Tuesday night. Hey, do you want me to bring the crumpets on Tuesday night? Oh, great, yeah. Hey, I've got some spare margarine. Great, yeah, you all know it. We can all share in it. It doesn't take a lot of effort. Geographical location in the age of cars and internet can make for very little contact. We talk to the neighbors when the electricity supply to our home fails, or we have to have an awkward conversation with them because something we ordered on Amazon got delivered to their house, and so we have to say hello. Um, We're wanting to build some better connection if we're going to save the world. We're not going to save the world through Amazon. Do you know that? It's not going to happen. Tweet that. Great. Uh, Final myth, and then we should definitely ask the Holy Spirit to help us because we're running out of time, despite the fact that this is a very good talk and very funny. Um, (coughs) You don't have to be humble to host people. No, that's not the myth. You need all the answers. Here's a myth when it comes to connecting with people who don't share your faith, and maybe you're worried about having them share at your table and, and have a conversation. Chances are, if they're keen, they may have read more philosophical books. They might have read more, the Bible more than you. You might be nervous about what conversation might come up. It's fine. You're not at an art gallery presenting a finished piece. You're having conversations with real people, and you can go, hey, that's a really great question. I haven't actually thought about that before. I'm going to ask someone about that and talk to you next week when you next come for your crumpet. We'll figure out. 
We'll figure it out. We'll talk together. Or we won't. And we'll just live in the tension of that being a really difficult question. But I love God anyway. If a conversation goes somewhere, you can explore it together. Do some research, phone a friend, whatever it is. You also don't need to make hospitality a four-point gospel message. Hey, how are you enjoying that bagel? Yes, fine. You know there's a hole in you too. You know, you know there's a hole in you. God wants to fill that hole. I'm just, I just wanted a bagel. Please don't be weird, okay? Don't be weird. Ask them questions. Ask them questions. There's a great book called Questioning Evangelism. Actually, it's great to question people if you're wanting to. The, the empathy, questioning, conversation. I'm running out of steam here. Um, okay. Pray. Don't forget to pray. Don't get so busy making your house look nice that you forget to pray and ask God what looks nice tonight. What is this evening about God? What, how do you see the, these people that are coming over that we don't really know very well? What's your perspective on them? And what does tonight look like? Because I want it to be a God encounter moment. And I want it to be powerful because we, we need to save the world. And it's going to happen around food. It's not going to be straightforward. So let me burst this holy bubble for a moment. Jesus eating and drinking with people wasn't straightforward. Sometimes it was just awkward. It was, it was difficult at times. Jesus spoke to a woman at a well, defies social convention. She, he, he's eating with tax collectors and amongst grumbling people. It's messy. This is messy, but it's beautiful. So Jesus left all of heaven and ended up in a feeding trough. He left the luxury of heaven and he came down and he ate with us. He came eating and drinking and he calls us to do the same. To go into the world and eat and drink with people and connect with people in darkness bringing your light. Amen? If you're able to stand, why don't you stand? Let's pray. definitely make some time to pray for people at the front, uh, especially if, if you don't need to run off and, and grab kids. We've got at least five minutes at the moment. Uh, but my, my conviction on this is that this is for everyone. This is for everyone. So if this has challenged you in some way, uh, and I know that there is stuff, there's, there's insecurities, there's fear, there's, there's all sorts that would hold us back from that. But my, my prayer is that you've seen something of a vision this morning that will help you to overcome that as you invite Jesus in to say, God, sorry where I've castled. I'm sorry where I've got into entertaining and guests and, and I've raised a bar on something that's meant that connection has been limited. So Jesus, I, I just pray for this incredible group of people who are such lights in such, so many scattered locations. Lord, I want to pray that you bless them in their eating and drinking with people. Lord, we confess that we've got into all sorts of eating disorders where we've just 
functioned in isolation and, and not opened our table to others. Lord, sorry for that. We are sorry. And Lord, we're sorry for where we've made it about our convenience and our comfort. Lord, I want to pray for some super awkward meal times in the next years to come, months to come, weeks to come. I pray that we wouldn't shy away from awkward. I pray that we wouldn't avoid the people who need to be sat around our tables, who need to know the love of sharing in something. And Lord, we know this isn't just about people who don't have a faith. We, we'd love to save the world in that way. We know that there are people in our church, we know that there are people in this room right now who eat often on their own and feel isolated, feel disconnected and would love to be around our tables. Lord, give us boldness for those of us who feel isolated to ask or to say, I feel on my own. I would love to share a meal with you. Particularly around this season, it can be painful. We know that church. But Lord, help us. So Lord, help us. I'm just going to be quiet. Can I just ask you to pray your prayers now? Whatever it is that's held you back from a table that is open, a table that is regular. Come and show us God. I just want to say that shame has no place. Shame could, a sense that shame has been robbing people of hospitality. You might feel ashamed of where you live, ashamed of the people you live with, or you might be ashamed of your, in your relationship with God. And that's affecting how you open your home, how you open your heart ultimately. Lord, if there's anyone here who is struggling with shame, just like Peter might have been, Lord, I pray for an encounter on the beach with you, so to speak. I pray that you would breathe on them just life-giving. Jesus' name. We say, we say no to shame in the name of Jesus. Shame has no place in what God has called us to in our lives and in our hearts. that's hit, hit a nerve for you, I'd love for you to come forward in a moment. We're going to invite people up to, to pray specifically. Let's just hold this moment for a bit. Thank you so much for joining us. If, you, if you're not familiar with us, if you're new to us, thanks, thanks again for coming. This is kind of, this is where the rubber hits the road a little bit and the Word of God and we, and we, and we just pray. We give God space. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit as well as the Word of God. Thanks for bearing with us. If this feels awkward for you, thanks for just joining us. Come, Jesus. Stir in us a passion, God, for the lost. Great. 
uh, I'm, I'm just going to encourage you, if, if you, if you know that there's some more business that you want to do with God, if you need God's help a little bit around some of the things that might limit you or hinder you in, in sharing food with people, if you, if you have problems with food and, and a healthy attitude to, towards food for a start, that might be something you want to bring to God and ask for his help. I know this isn't straightforward and simple, but that's important. It might be that you've, got, um, you've been inspired by some of the testimonies that we heard about God's voice and, and prayer and you want to come forward and respond and ask God to give you a renewed boldness. Can we just begin to move forward if you want, if you want prayer? There's a team of people who are just going to pray for you. If there's anything you want to do, it, it is quarter past now. If you've got children to pick up, um, can I ask you to head, head that way? But if you're able to, why don't you just begin to come forward and, and we're going we're gonna to pray. Jesus, come. It might be you just want to make a commitment before God and say, God, I'm taking this seriously from here on in. This is a stake in the ground moment. 